0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Susan Perlman on her involvement with Jews for Jesus during its entire 50-year history.
1: We wore t-shirts that kind of showed who we were, and they had many different slogans on them, like Jews for Jesus was one of them. Jesus made me kosher was another. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Vote for Jesus, King of the Jews, or... Um, You don't have to be Jewish to love Jesus, but it couldn't hurt.
0: Susan Perlman, next. God raised up the ministry of Jews for Jesus during the days of the Jesus movement in the early 70s. This year, it celebrates 50 years of introducing the Jewish people to Jesus. Susan Perlman moved across the country to join the fledgling ministry, and today she is chief partnership officer for Jews for Jesus. Susan, before I ask you about Jews for Jesus, tell us a bit about your own spiritual journey, your upbringing, and where you grew up.
1: Well, Bill, it's it's hard to tell from my accent, which is almost all gone, <laughs> but I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, um, in a traditional Jewish home. Uh, both my parents uh, were Jewish, and uh, I was raised um, in the Jewish faith, um, and I never even, in the slightest way, thought I could ever uh, move away from uh, traditional Judaism mm. and be where I am today.
0: Did you live largely in a is if you will, a Jewish neighborhood, a Jewish community? Not only not only the synagogue, but I mean your your day-to-day life. Was it largely in the Jewish uh community? Well, I
1: lived in New York, which was a very Jewish city. Mm-hmm. So when the Jewish holidays came around, the public schools closed down because so many of the teachers were Jewish. Um and uh I um you know I I was not in a very observant home, in other words, where we kept kosher. All you know, only ate the prescribed foods. But um, but I was in a traditional Jewish home, and and so when it came time to celebrate Passover, we sat around the table and mm-hmm. and talked about the Exodus events. Uh, at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, my family fasted and uh, we went to synagogue. And um, and I and I always felt that there was. Um, there was something beyond this life that there mm. was a God um, who cared not just for the Jewish people, but for all of humanity. Uh, when I was 12, um, my dad died very suddenly. And, uh, and this really uh, was a pivotal point in my life because I spoke with the family rabbi and I asked him a very telling question. I said, is my daddy in heaven now? Mm hmm. And the rabbi, Bill, could not answer that question very well. He started by saying, "Well, you know, the life you lead will be one in which his um, legacy will continue, and you can you can uh, keep him alive, so to speak, by the life that you lead." And I said, "You didn't answer my question, Rabbi. Is is my father in heaven?" Uh, and he finally answered with these words. He said, "Well, we can't know for sure." What lies beyond the grave but we can hope and your father was a good man and somehow bill that just did not seem like an adequate answer to me
0: so it was at this point that your interest began to be at least somewhat stirred uh, uh in terms of spiritual things in terms of thinking about god
1: well in a sense that they were stirred in that i i realized as a jew i was still very proud and committed um, to being jewish but that spiritually, I did not know if there really were any answers, and I kind of let that sit uh, in this um, uh, uneasy place in my mind for a number of years.
0: Well, at, at what point, Susan, did you begin uh, considering Jesus, which for a, a Jewish person, uh, you describe yourself as a traditional Jewish person, is something they uh, uh, typically would not think that they would consider. What was the point at which you began doing that and, and Jesus' claims?
1: Well, I don't know if you've seen or any of your listeners have seen the um, the Jesus Revolution movie. Yes. In it, there's a thread in which there's a journalist who um, writes a story about the Jesus Revolution, he was a journalist for Time Magazine. And that came out, that article with the Day Glow G- Jesus on the cover, came out in June of 1971. I was there in New York when that came out, Mm -hmm. and I picked up a copy of Time Magazine, and I read the article. And that was my first exposure to uh, Jesus people of, of sorts. And then, and this is how God works sometimes, it was within just weeks of that, that I was walking down a street in New York City, when I saw this young guy with long blonde hair down to his shoulders and a guitar slung on his back and a button on that said, smile, God loves you. And I put two and two together. I'd read the Jesus People article and then I saw a Jesus person. And so I said, excuse me, but are you part of that Jesus revolution? I just read about it. And he said, I guess you can say that. Um, And I said, well, what exactly is it that you people believe? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you love an opportunity like that?
0: <laughs> of course.
1: And so uh, he said, well, it's kind of noisy out here on the street. And he encouraged me to come sit in a coffee shop with him nearby, which we did. And he shared the gospel with me. And that was the first time I ever heard it.
0: And you later found out that Larry Norman was, uh, at least at that point, in the Christian music uh, industry, very, very much in its infancy, that he was perhaps the best known. Uh, yeah, he
1: was the father of Christian rock. You know, he was—he had created the one-way sign. All, but I didn't know that he was just some guy I stopped on the street,
0: <laughs> and,
1: and then the rest is history.
0: And, and you went to the concert.
1: I went to—he invited me to a concert. He was uh, going to be singing at, and uh, and I went, and uh, and it was really through that event and uh, the article I read, and people praying, starting to pray for me in the church that he took me to that um, had me uh, come to a place where I realized I needed Jesus in my life.
0: And, and did you immediately consider him, Susan, as your Messiah? Did you, did you see him in that well,
1: way? What I said to Larry initially was, you know, you need to know I'm Jewish, because I expected him at that point to maybe apologize mm. for having talked to me about Jesus. But he responded by saying, you know, Jesus is a Jew, And all of his early followers were Jewish. And the New Testament was written by Jews. And while I think I theoretically knew all that was true, it never really sunk in. And so my coming to faith in Jesus wasn't really taking me away from my heritage. If anything, it was bringing me smack dab in the center of it.
0: And you'd mentioned your father, of course, had passed away some years before. But how did your your mother, your family react to your were, newfound they, faith?
1: They were not happy with the news, um, uh they they thought that I had betrayed them, that I had uh, uh, gone, you know, astray, and um, uh, and they wanted me to keep my faith quiet. They didn't want it to embarrass others in the family, but um, you know. It's the truth. You can't. You can't keep silent about it. And I. I think I. W- I tried to be as sensitive as I could with my family. But. Um, but this was. The, this was a message of life. I mean, how could I. How could I hide it?
0: Well, my guest today on His People is Susan Perlman, and she is chief partnership officer with Jews for Jesus. She's been involved. She's one of the founders of the ministry, which is celebrating fifty years this year well susan having come to faith in jesus tell us from there how do you how you came to be one of the founders of jews for jesus which you mentioned you bumped into larry norman on the street in 1971 you read that time magazine uh piece and here we are two years later you're founding a ministry to jewish people
1: well it was actually a year after that article that um i met a young woman who had been trained by Moish Rosen, the, the, the actual founder of Jews through Jesus. And he had told her, he was already living in California. He said, I want you to be on the lookout for like spark plugs mm. and when you find some, let me know about them. Because I want to recruit them to be out here with us in, in San Francisco. He was in the, in the heart of San Francisco where the Jesus movement uh, had its roots and where a lot of young Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus. So Miriam called him about me and he said, well, have her be in touch with me. Now, I had a really good job in New York. I was working um, as an advertising copywriter. I had a rent controlled apartment in Manhattan. I had a good church I was a part of. I mean, my life was all on a very forward and upward trajectory. And uh, and then I had this phone call with Moish Rosen in California. And he asked me a question. He said, Susan, how do you see yourself serving God for the rest of your life? Well, no one had asked me that question up until then. And I said, well, I do the best I can. I go to the New York Track Society and I I pick up tracks and I hand them out. And I talk to people at work and everywhere else about Jesus. I, I do my best. And he said, no, I really want you to dream. Dream of like if you could do anything, what would it be? And I said, well, I said, I, I write for a living. I, I would love to write things that glorify God. And I, I was also directing an amateur children's theater group. We would do block parties on the weekends. And and I said, and I'm doing some drama. I said, I, I, I would love to be able to do something where I was out on the street sharing about Jesus and got people to stop and listen and share the gospel with them. And so he paused for a second on the phone and he said, well, you know, I can't actually offer you a paid job, but I can promise you this. If you come out here, you can do those things with us and I'll make sure that you have food on your table if I have food on my table and a roof over your head if I have a roof over my head. That was the benefit package, (laughs) (laughs) the response coming out of my mouth because it was totally illogical, but I said, "Well, I need to give my job two weeks' notice." And Moy said, "Okay, I'll see you in two weeks," and he hung up the phone. So that was how I ended up being part of the founding group of Jews for Jesus.
0: That's amazing. So you moved cross country from one yes. coast to the other.
1: Had never been to California before.
0: Had you met other Jewish people who had become believers in Jesus in? Uh, in New York,
1: very few. When I actually, when I first came to believe, I thought I was the only one. Um, but then I met, uh, I met some people who actually uh, had been witnessed to by some Jewish believers in Jesus, and so it was through them I got to meet a few other people. But it was still a small group.
0: Well, it, it, it's. Really wonderful to hear you speak of Moishe Rosen. Of course, too, we've had the pleasure of talking to him many times uh, here at Pilgrim Radio. He's been in our studios and so forth. And in terms of those early days, how did the ministry of Jews for Jesus operate? I mean, w- what did it look like? Here, it was just literally the Jesus movement was still still going on, and and, uh, and and the hippies were maybe it was declining a little bit, but it was still kind of kind of a thing. Can you talk about that? How did you how did it well, work?
1: Yeah, it worked. It was very interesting. We we did everything. First of all, we didn't have um, we didn't have a uh, you know an an, uh, an organization uh, of substance. We were just a group of young volunteers, um, uh, working with Moish. And mm-hmm. um, if something was happening that we wanted to write about, we would write a tract. We called them broadsides. We would actually write them. We would print them ourselves on a um, a mimeograph machine fold uh, them once they dry and then went out on the streets and handed them out um, our, we did the same thing with our very first newsletter it, it actually was uh, the newsletter was uh, the 600 names that Moish had on his Christmas card list
0: hmm. and
1: that's how, that's how we began it um, we wore t-shirts that kind of showed who we were and they had many different slogans on them like Jews for Jesus was one of them. Jesus made me kosher was another. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Vote for Jesus, King of the Jews. Or um, you don't have to be Jewish to love Jesus, but it couldn't hurt. I mean, we came up with all these different slogans, and Jews for Jesus kind of clicked. Um, We also put it on handbills. and uh we We were out on the campus at San Francisco State University, putting up these Jews for Jesus handbills on kiosks that already had other posters on them and The school newspaper wrote a story on us, and they confused a the number of us with the number of handbills and There were hundreds of handbills out on the campus and so they said there, there are hundreds of these Jews for Jesus all over the place it's a movement. <laughs> and uh, and then Time and Newsweek magazines picked up on the San Francisco State uh, newspaper story and talked about the Jews for Jesus movement and so we were really named by the media
0: that is really interesting and and, and as you say it stuck
1: yeah it, you know it was not a very um respectable name you know it was, a, it was a kind of a slogan but it really did suit us well because it said exactly who we were we were for Jesus and we were Jews and both of those were true. People would ask us, so are you Jewish or are you Christian? And we'd say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were both. Um, we also uh, created our own music. Uh, we put together a, what we called a presentation group. And we would go out on the streets uh, with guitars and tambourines and and sing original Jewish gospel music. It was kind of a, uh, a, a cross between uh, uh, gospel music and Fiddler on the roof. And uh, and people stopped and listened. And we came up with our own um, drama team. The the music group uh, ended up being called the Liberated Wailing Wall, and the drama team, the New Jerusalem Players. And they toured all over the country for many many years.
0: Well, Susan, what kinds of reactions? I I, you're, I know you're asked this a lot. What kinds of reactions did you get in those early years, and even to this day, from both the the Jewish community and uh, even Gentile Christians.
1: Well, there has been a difference over the years. In the early years, we were very much a novelty. People did a um, you know a, a quick turnaround like, what Jews for Jesus? That's like vegetarians <laughs> for me. How can you be Jews for Jesus? It, it seemed like a um, a contradiction in terms, and uh, and. I'm I'm, I'm giving you the then and now on a number of things. Today, I think there are very few people who haven't heard of Jews for Jesus. So, and and we're out there, not just on the streets, but in in publication and other places so that people know that Jews, that there are Jews who believe in Jesus, maintain their Jewish identity, but also are fully Christian in their faith and in their beliefs. Uh, In the earliest days of Jews for Jesus, particularly in the United States, we had a lot of um, opposition. Uh, Unlike many Christian groups, we actually had an organized opposition of people who uh, they, they came up with uh, similar names instead of Jews for Jesus, they called themselves Jews for Judaism or Jews for Moses. Hmm. Um, And they would, um, you know, they would come out and, you know, throw rotten eggs at us and do things like that. I mean, We thought about it and we recognize that, you know, these are maybe Apostle Paul's in the making. If they knew what we knew about who Jesus is, they wouldn't be opposing him. They would be standing right next to us doing the same thing. And I think that that's important for us as believers to realize there is an opposition sometimes out there because people are just don't know what it is that we have. They would want it if they did.
0: (laughs) Can you talk, Susan, about how the ministry of Jews for Jesus has has changed and grown through the years, both in terms of the numbers of countries that you serve in, and maybe even in terms of how you go about doing what you do?
1: We've changed in terms of uh, starting just in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I don't think we had a, a vision initially for being a global ministry, uh, but we just were aware of what was happening was, and that was in the Bay Area of San Francisco. We then moved to establish works in other cities in the United States, like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, Miami. But um, ultimately, we realized that the Jewish community around the world also needed a Jews for Jesus type of ministry. And so today we're in uh, 12 countries and um, 25 cities, I believe. Um, And in the early days, because um, it was a time when people were uh, a lot more face-to-face than they are today, uh, we were able to hand out literature on the street corners. Um, We were able to do uh, music on street corners and things like that. Um, Today, people have earbuds in their ears and cell phones in front of their faces, there, you know, After the pandemic, a lot of people stayed a lot more remote than in person. And so we had to really maximize the digital end of our ministry. And so now uh, we have 24-7 live chat room. Uh, we do a lot of uh, uh, work online as well as in person, um, live streaming events. Um, we also still... No, it's important to meet with people. We have three real prongs of our ministry, Bill. The first one is go and tell. We still are doing the proclamation ministry we began with. That that hasn't ended. And, and particularly in places like the former Soviet Union, face-to-face evangelism is still very, very um, appropriate. Uh, and then we have what we call our come and see prong, which is events where we uh, engage with Jewish people uh, we have, for instance, uh, around the universities, we've developed coffee houses, and so uh, near UCLA we have what we call the Upside Down Cafe. And students come in there; they get a really nice cup of coffee. They have good Wi-Fi, and uh, our interns are trained to be bar- baristas. And um, and people get to hear the gospel. Um, and we have that at NYU and by Tel Aviv University, etc. We, uh, we also, as part of our come and see ministry, have uh, uh, Shabbat meetings, Sabbath uh, times, where people come and share a meal with us and get to hear the good news of Jesus that way. Then um, our third and most recent uh, prong of ministry has been what we call love and serve. And you don't think of Jewish people as being among the, the needy, you know, but if You go to places like Israel, you'll see that there's a lot of homeless Jews. There are Jews who are um, uh, addicted to drugs. There are Jews who are um, the product of uh, trafficking. And so we have um, developed some ways of engaging and reaching out to groups like that. We have our own food truck. And we deliver food and New Testaments to people. We have a uh, um, a shelter. We call it a warm house for women who have been into prostitution. Jewish women, and uh, we minister to them. We actually baptized five five of those women this, this past year, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so um, we also um, uh, do a lot of uh, of ministry in different languages. We used to just be an English centered ministry now. We have our own um, uh, courses in Hebrew and Russian and French and German, a little bit of what we do.
0: Well, Susan Perlman is my guest today on His People. She is with Jews for Jesus, and we're talking about Jews for Jesus' 50th anniversary. And Susan, you mentioned uh, among some of the countries that Jews for Jesus has a presence in is in Israel. What uh, particularly do you do there? Do you have something special going on in that country?
1: Israel is, is is the place where the most uh, Jewish people live. It used to be North America. It's now shifted to Israel. Mm. And we have almost 60 full-time missionary staff in Israel, uh, working out of the Tel Aviv and Jerusalem areas. And we have 10 different focused ministries there. So we have ministry to university students. We have ministry to Russian-speaking Israelis. Over a million uh, Israelis are from the former Soviet Union we have ministry to um to elderly to children um, you know just uh, a wide variety of groups to secular Israelis to the religious and um and our staff are all uh, trained in different areas of, of uh, that kind of ministry so uh, one of the things that um we, you know, we just realized just recently, you know, there were all of these bombings going on in Israel. Um, we had a bomb sh- shelter built at our Tel Aviv facility. And so we were able to keep all of our programs going while the bombs were, were dropping because we had a place that people could go to if need be right there in the building.
0: Susan, I was reading a piece um, earlier today that was uh... Stating that anti-Semitic incidents are increasing in the U.S. In fact, they've increased rather dramatically in the last couple of years. I'm wondering, does that fact impact what you do, your ministry at all, at Jews for Jesus?
1: Absolutely, does. Um, and it, this is true all over the world, not just here in the U.S. Um, our work in uh, in France uh, has been the subject of a lot of uh, anti-Semitic acts, and we've actually had the opportunity because of that to find ways to unite the evangelical community and the Jewish community in France to stand together in light of that anti-Semitism, and it's just opened up many avenues for for real dialogue and real real discussion. Anti-Semitism is nothing new. I mean, uh, the work uh, of um, the you know, bringing the gospel to the Jewish people is, has. Uh, has not made Satan pleased at all because it's a, it's a, it's a message of love and care for Jews. And, and, you know, we've had our detractors as a people, you know, going all the way back (laughs) uh, to what the Pharaohs and the Hamans and the Saddam Husseins and whoever else, but uh, God's made promises that he will keep our people. And I think, for Jewish people to be encouraged to know that um, we will continue to survive as a people regardless of this kind of action, because we have a God who has promised to keep us.
0: Susan, is there anything special going on this year in recognition of the 50th anniversary of Jews for Jesus?
1: Definitely. There are a number of things going on this year. We, we decided to do, um, because evangelism is so at the heart of who we are, is we decided on having a a season of evangelism of 20 plus capstone projects. Each of these projects in different parts of the country um, and the world um, uh, are our way of celebrating the 50 years. For instance, we have put together um, an alpha course for Hebrew speaking Israelis, an eight session course you know, and help them to get a deeper knowledge of of the Bible. We have um, a big festival going on in Moscow. Um, our works, by the way, in uh, in Ukraine continue to uh, thrive, even even in the midst of war right now. As we have several uh, capstone projects there, uh, we have um, 19 staff still in Ukraine. So do pray for them.
0: Well, Susan, I know I have to let you go, but uh, go, going forward, uh, any sense of plans for the future years of the Ministry of Jews for Jesus? You were you were among the founding group there in 1973. Can you give us a glimpse into what, Lord willing, what might be just up ahead?
1: Well, should 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 the Lord tarry any? We're going to be doing more uh, of this of the same, and then innovating as is obvious for the the culture and the times that we're going to be in Jews for Jesus hasn't read, written our best literature yet or produced our best music yet or um, you know had maybe even our most stellar missionaries yet we're going to keep on working to train and do more because the time is now to bring that message and whether we're going to be around for a year or another 50 years Um, we're going to treat every moment as precious and urgent in the the task that He's given us.
0: You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Susan Perlman, Chief Partnership Officer with Jews for Jesus. Go to jewsforjesus.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jim Davis on why millions of people in the U.S. have left church and aren't returning. So, in terms of numbers, that that's helpful. Forty million adult Americans in our study used to go to church regularly and don't at, go less than once per year now. Um, largely, most of this is happening in the past 25 to 30 years.
1: These 40 million, uh, that 40 million breaks up into about. 20 million of those people are mainline and Catholic. About 15 million are evangelical. And then you have 5 million that would be outside of Orthodox Christianity.
0: That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.